patience. So we live in a culture that um, not only does it not cultivate patience, the culture that we live in, not only do we, do we live in a culture that doesn't cultivate patience, but we actually live in a culture that cultivates in us impatience. Um, so think for a moment, I was thinking about this, uh, our, about our culture, and really there's two big areas that I think is cultivating impatience um, in each and every one of us. Um, and first and foremost, it's our capitalistic society, this one-click um, cultural society that we live in. And then also um, think about our, our health care and, and the impatience that our incredible health care has cultivated in us. So let's talk about um, our capitalistic society here for a moment. Um, I'm not speaking like against it saying it is evil for you to get on Amazon and, and press that one click. I'm just saying that's how we've been trained. To the point where the basis in which you buy products is, is based solely on convenience. Like we live in a culture that not only do we buy products that we can get and get right now, but the idea that we have to go and get them, that's, that's repulsive. What, what do you mean I have to go get? What do you mean I have to go buy that? And so we live in this culture that has taught us, if you just click a button, it will be delivered to you in two days or less. I, 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 I was told that Amazon is now working on like, like th- this whole like two-day Amazon Prime thing is going to be a time of the past. We're going to quick it. We're going to make this faster. That's not quick enough. And part of me is like, yes! And then I realized the implications of that. Um, Micah, one of our elders here, I gave him a hard time because I've literally heard him tell this story like four times. It's his favorite story to tell. But he tells me this story about how, um, and many of you probably ever heard it because if Micah talks to you, he loves just sharing this story. It's a good one. Micah works at, if you're like, who's Micah? It's that big tall guy back there doing some of our security. Um, So Micah works for this company that's based out of um, San Francisco, and he's in the Seattle office, and he tells this story about his boss flying into Seattle, and the boss calls him on the phone from the, the tarmac and says, hey, I forgot my computer cord back in San Francisco. I need you to go out and buy one for me. And Micah, a man of wisdom and or convenience, said, I'm not going to go and get one. Um, You're still a ways out. How about I order one on Amazon? Mind you, they need it today. And so he gets on Amazon, finds a computer cord, only clicks one button because that's all you need to click. Do you know how quickly the computer cord got to his office? Eight minutes. Eight minutes. And and, and so, so we wonder... Why we struggle with impatience? Why is it not here yet? Why is my problem not fixed yet? Why do I not have what I want right here, right now? Why, why, do, why am I stuck in this job? Why am I stuck in this career? Why am I stuck in this season? Where's that easy button? Where's that one click where I can just kind of fast forward and boom, I'm there. Think for a moment about our healthcare system. This is, this is a huge one. I'm not sure if we realize this. So we live in a culture. So he, he, here's, 
I'm going to give you some secrets here. I don't, maybe you already know this and I'm late to the game. But here's what I've realized. If one of our children are sick, our first move is to call the doctor that's right down the street to see if we can get an appointment in. And usually what they say to us is, you know what, we don't have any open openings till the afternoon. I can't do the afternoon. We can't do the out. I'm sick right now. I have a cold right now. Someone has an ear infection right now. God forbid we wait six hours. And so what they do is, hey, did you know there's this urgent care down at Renton Landing? I'll put, I'll patch you through. This has happened twice. And so I get on the phone with Renton Landing and the urgent care and say, hey, here's the situation. I think it's an ear infection. I don't know. Um, my child needs to see a doctor. Do you have any openings? And they say, well, our next opening is at 8.43. Eight, not 8.45, friends. 8.43. Can you get here by 8.43? I look at my watch. I have 18 minutes to get there, guys. 18 minutes. It takes me 15. I say yes. I hang up the phone. I immediately get a text message, because I need a reminder, apparently, from Renton Landing saying, you have an appointment in 18 minutes, and, and you are already checked in. And I walk in there. I bring my child. I check in. Oh, yeah, you have two more minutes. Go sit over here. I wait two minutes. They call me over. 30 minutes later, we have a diagnosis. The pharmacy has been called. That way, I can drive on the way home, pick up the prescription. And by an hour and a half worth of time, or really more like an hour from the first phone call I made, we've already got medication. And so, what does this create? This creates in us this, re, this, this, this expectation of, what do you mean I have to be sick for two days? What do you mean that I have to be in bed for four days. Like, th- that doesn't happen. Do, do you guys realize we, we are probably the only culture in society that has this convenience? I was talking to um, Britain this morning. Britain and, and Cyrus, they um, do uh, some incredible work in Sierra Leone, Africa. We talked about this last week. And um, I remember when I went to Sierra Leone, Africa, I found this, that one of the biggest issues there is hernias. It's just a huge epidemic there. It costs $100 to get a hernia surgery. They have a wait list of 400 people. And, and they're just kind of coming out from the woodwork because they are hearing, wow, there's this incredible Christian organization that is helping out with hernias. And so they're getting calls everywhere. These people, do you know how, they ha- how long they've had hernias? Some of them years. Some of them their life. They've had them, and that's just, that's just the way that you live. And we, we live in a culture, it's, it's, let's be honest, it's something to celebrate, it's neat, but here's what it's done. It's created in you and I this expectation that we should never suffer. I don't know if you feel this, and maybe you don't, I feel this, I feel that any time I hear of someone who has a cancer prognosis, the expectation is they will beat it. They will beat it. Why? Because we've got the modern means of medicine. We've, we've got all the, you know, we can fly to this, 
to, to this city or to that hospital and we can get it all taken care of. Listen to this quote. Um, I heard this from another pastor, but he quotes this man named Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand, he's also a theologian too, but he's a medical doctor. He lived half of his life and worked half of his life in Asia, in India, these very, you know, third world um, parts of, 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 of the country, of the world. Um, and, and here's what he said. And then he spent the last half of his life working in America. He says this, people in modern societies, that's us, right? Live at a greater comfort level, but check this out, but seem far less equipped to handle suffering and are far more traumatized by it. I mean, it is a blessing that I can make a phone call and there's probably an app for it. I'm just behind the times, but I can get an app and I can get, I can get a doctor appointment in about 18 minutes if needed. What that does is it creates in us this expectation that when things don't go your way, I got to find the app. I got to find the one click. I've got to find where things can get better and better by at least the end of this week. But here's what I think we all need to, I think we've all realized you are going to suffer. You are. You, you, you ought, like that's biblical. That is a promise from scripture. Did you know that? We don't talk about this promise. That is a promise from God's word that you are going to go through seasons where you're going to have to wait. You are going to go through seasons where there is literal suffering. Suffering physically, suffering emotionally. We are all going to walk through seasons in our life where we are going to suffer. And there's not going to be a button we can click to get us through it and past it in a day. And so here's, here's what is just so incredible about this passage. It's a, it's a passage about patience. And it's a passage that teaches us what patience is. The different kinds of patience that we need to have. It's going to talk about four different kinds of patience we need to have. And then it's going to teach us how we cultivate patience. So what it is, the different kinds there are. And how do we cultivate it? How does James define patience? Look at the metaphor James gives us. James begins, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord will come back to that. It's a really important phrase. Now listen to this. Listen to this example, this illustration. James is going to give us three different illustrations. And they're going to teach us an abundance about how to be patient and how to walk through patience. Here's the first illustration. See how the farmer... What does he do? He waits. Do you see how the farmer waits? For the precious fruit of the earth. What is patience? Here's the beginning of patience. It's waiting. It's waiting for what you cannot see. I'm waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. It hasn't even been planted yet. And he's waiting for what he cannot see. Patience is waiting for what you cannot see. It is waiting through the midst of your suffering when there is no light at the end of the tunnel. 
It's just waiting and you can't see it. It's waiting, waiting, waiting. Patience is waiting. But, oh, James does something brilliant here. I'm not sure we see it. His Jewish readers probably would have saw it. So the majority of James' readers in this day, his audience in which he's writing to, were Jews. And Jews knew their Old Testament scriptures really, really well. And James is going to use a phrase in here that is going to ring some bells of some Old Testament scriptures that the Jews would have probably known. Notice what he says. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Now look look at this. Until it receives the early and late rains. Now James is doing something brilliant. He's telling us that patience is more than just waiting. This phrase that James uses here is a phrase that is used five times in the Old Testament. It's used um, in, in bits and pieces, like the one we're going to look at, it's, it's almost like a direct rip from. But then there's a number, there's four other passages that are clearly thinking about this right here. And so listen to this. What does James mean? James is doing something here. Let's look at, we're going to look at two of these five passages in the Old Testament. What they all have in common is they all are speaking about Rains coming for the farmer. In all five of them, the rains are not what the farmer is waiting for. The rains are what God promises he will bring. So what James is doing is he is saying, it's like a farmer who waits, he waits, but he waits for those early and late rains. And their light bulb would have went off and said, oh, wait, there's that passage and that passage and that passage and that passage and that passage that talk about the early and late rains. And all five passages, it's referring to the faithfulness of God. It's referring to God's faithfulness that the rains will come. Listen to Deuteronomy eleven fourteen. He, this is God, he will give the rain for your land in its season. The early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain, in your wine, in your oil. What, it, what does it say? He, what's that word? Will. Not he might. He will. Do you know how sure the early, early rains are? They are a sure thing. They come every single time. They may not come when you want them to come, right? They may not come in the abundance you desire them to come. But God is saying, the early rains come every single time. Just like me. That's what God's saying. Look at what um, Hosea 6.3. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord... His going out is as sure as the dawn. How sure were you that the sun was, well, the sun, the light was going to come out this morning, right? You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. How bright it was going to be. Now that's a whole different story, but you knew it was coming. And, and, And here's what God is saying. God is saying, I am, you can count on me. I am as sure as the dawn every single morning. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. 
what is, what is patience to James? Here's what it is. It's waiting. But it's waiting with a confident assurance that God will be faithful. He will be faithful. He will come through. Just as you can count on the early rains in Seattle, you can count on God coming through. Now again, how is God going to come through? When is God going to come through? As, as, as one of my teachers w- would say, God doesn't wear a Rolex. He didn't, like, he's, he's not going, okay, 10, 23, now. God brings it in his timing. But, but what is patience? Here it is. It's waiting. But it's waiting with a confident assurance that God is faithful. God will come through for you. God will, God will, God will. He, he will. Why? Because he always has. Now let's just break for a moment. Some of you are walking through a season of waiting. I'm convinced that all of us are in seasons of waiting. We're just always in a season of waiting. The question is, what is the weight of what we are waiting for? But so, so we all come in here with some things that we are waiting for. Some things that we can't click a one-click button and it will arrive here. Or it will arrive at your doorstep when you get home. So, think about that thing that you are waiting for. And let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe he's faithful in what you are waiting for? Do you believe he's faithful and he will come through for you? James is saying that, that that's what patience is. Now, there's four different kinds of patience that he's going to tell us about in this passage. And the first one, it's in this illustration that we need to be patient with life, Right? And we see that with the illustration of the farmer. And the illustration of the farmer, I love it. James is so purposeful here. Let's just look really close at it. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early, so that would be the spring, spring rains, the early and the late rains. You know what I love about this is, is James says, we need to be patient with life. And here's, here's what life is like. It's like a farmer where the spring comes around and he's waiting and waiting and waiting for the spring rains. Waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they come. Yes! The spring rains come. Do you know what happens next? He's got to wait again. He's got to wait again, right? And then he's got to wait for the fall rains. And then he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And finally the fall rains come. Praise the Lord. Yes, God is faithful. And then you know what happens again? Spring comes. He's got to wait again. It's not like he waits for the spring and the fall rains once. And then for the rest of his life, they're just going to come, 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 come. He's always waiting. We need to understand that that is much of our life, right? Our life is filled with waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But think about this for a moment. Um, A sermon I was listening to drew this out and I found it to be helpful and they pointed out that really everything worth having you got to wait for the stuff that comes at one click in your life I mean it might be nice for a moment but it's not lasting think for a moment think for a moment think about the closest friends that you have closest friends that you have 
They didn't come at one click, did they? Even those of you who did online dating, okay? Like, you may have clicked, but you had to develop a relation. Like, it, okay, it, it, I have a friend who, who had an arranged marriage. That was his culture, and, and he would tell you it took time for that relationship to grow and grow and grow into what it is. Anything worth happening, it takes patience, amen? Friendships, it takes patience. The people you count on most are the people that you've poured into and they've poured into you. Think about any skill that you might have, okay? Whether it's art, whether it's musical, maybe, maybe it's a professional skill. You're really good at programming computers. Maybe it's athletics. My child, um, our, our oldest, Zephaniah, he's learning how to play piano. And, and so one of the things I try and do is I have him listen because I enjoy listening to just piano. I just listen to it. If you can't play it, maybe you like to listen to it. That's me. And I, he'll listen to it. And I say, do you want to sound like that one day? Yeah. I'm like, okay, it's going to take about a decade. <laughs> What's a decade? About 10 years. Oh. But think about any skill that you have. It takes, it takes patience. Think about any achievement that you might have. Never comes overnight. It takes investment. And so, please don't be surprised when you have to, to wait. This is life. This is life. And, and so the next thing we learn, um, look at verse 9 here. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, so the, the second thing that we need patience for is we need patience for people, Right? And here's why. Here's what's shocking. Think about this for a moment. When you are impatient, when you are impatient, maybe it's a, you're impatient with something at work. Maybe you are impatient with something you are trying to fix. Maybe you are impatient in traffic. Think of all of the things that you are impatient with. What is the fruit of your impatience? What happens with you when you are impatient at work and you come home to your family? They did nothing to you, and all of a sudden, you're blowing up on them. See, this, this is why impatience is so dangerous, is because it always shows itself in relationships, doesn't it? You're not even impatient with them. You're impatient with something else, but all of a sudden, you're yelling at someone who, 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 who dove right in the middle, right? You're driving, and then they, they just jump right into the middle, and you yell at them like you didn't do that last week. We need to learn how to be patient with people, right? We need to be patient with people. And, and here's what James says. Don't grumble against one another. Okay, when, you're patient, when you are impatient, don't take it out on your brother. Don't take it out on your friend. Don't take it out on your spouse. Definitely don't take it out on your kids, right? Don't take it out on them. And then James, he, he says, he in, inserts this phrase, so that you may not be judged. Behold the judge, that's a capital J, this is speaking of Jesus, the judge is standing at the door. James is giving us this picture that we will all stand before Jesus. Um, it's, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember this passage, I think it's in the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, you will be judged for every careless word that you speak. Did you know that? So anytime you let a careless word of impatience come out of your mouth, Jesus is going, yeah, I'm going to judge you for that one. 
And that's what James is reminding us. And he's reminding us of this to get our attention and say, instead of grumbling against your brother, be reminded that you have a gracious judge. Be reminded that you have a judge that took the judgment for you. Be reminded that you have a judge named Jesus who has forgiven you, who, who loves you, who cares for you, who's wiped away all of your sin, and you know what? Treat other people like that. That's what he's doing here. So we need to be patient with other people. So when you're, when you're impatient, just pay attention to your relationships. And then James inserts this in, chat, in verse 12, and I think he's kind of bringing us back to verse 9. He says, but above all, my brother, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And when he says swear, he's not talking about that four-letter word. He's talking about lying. He's talking about bending the truth. When you're impatient, don't break your oaths with other people. Don't stretch the truth with other people. Speak the truth with them. So we need to have patience in life. We need to have patience with people. Here's the third kind of patience. This is a big one. We need to have patience in suffering. How many of you have ever gone through a season of suffering in your life? Anybody? Okay, some of us have not. <laughs> Those of you who have not, that's awesome. Um, it, it's coming for you. Um, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we need to have patience in our suffering. But here's what I love. I love what James does is the illustration he gives us are the prophets and are of Job and the way that they suffered. How did the prophets suffer? Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Do you know what the prophets did when they suffered? They kept speaking. You know what the prophets did when things weren't going their way? They remained faithful. They continued to remain faithful. When you read the book of Job, Job is such a great example. You know why he's such a great example? Because he doesn't quit. He keeps looking to the Lord. And you know what I love about the prophets? Is, so when I defined patience, I defined it as, or James defines it as this waiting, but waiting with a confident assurance in the faithfulness of God. Here's one of the things that we can misunderstand about patience or biblical patience. We can think that patience is some um, uh, inner poise. Uh, I can't help but quote Seinfeld, um, a great theologian, obviously. Um, but how many of you watch Seinfeld? Anybody? Okay, so some of you will hit home. The, the, there's this one episode that begins, George Costanza and his mom are in the front seat of the car, and Frank is in the back, and Frank and, and, and his wife, they just don't get along very well at all. There's a lot of impatience going on there, and they're driving, and they're driving in New York, and, and Frank is getting very impatient, and he begins to yell out, Serenity now! You remember this? And George goes, what are you doing? 
And, and Frank says, well, my, my doctor told me that that will help me cool and calm down and be patient by saying serenity now. And George says, well, are you supposed to yell it? And he says, well, the instructions weren't very clear. And, <laughs> and, and then like three or four more times in the car, he keeps yelling, serenity now, serenity now. And then Kramer tries this out. And so he's, serenity now, serenity now, serenity now. And, and what they're buying into is this idea. You know what patience is? Patience is just this ability to talk to yourself and to cool yourself down. Serenity now, just cool it, just be cool, just be fine. That's patience, just wait, just be cool, be interposed. And that is not patience at all. That might be self-control, but it's not patience. You know why I love that James gives the example of the prophets and how we should suffer? Read them. Read Isaiah. Read Jeremiah. Jeremiah has one point where he says to God, God, you tricked me. God, you, you actually tricked me. I thought you were calling me into this life of being this prophet and things have just gone really, really bad. But he's patient. There is no inner poise. You know what there is? His ability to be faithful in pressing on and to look to God at the same point and go, listen, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here. And I'm pretty frustrated. I'm pretty disappointed. Never once do you find the prophets stuffing their emotions. They have no ability to do that at all. And so the third kind of suffering, or the third, third kind of patience we need is patience in our suffering. But let us learn from the prophets that that kind of patience is not an inner poise. That kind of patience is your ability to continue to be faithful, continue to be faithful, even when you're frustrated, even when you're discouraged. And listen to this. Do you know what happens to Jeremiah? He goes into exile, and as he's on his way into exile... To Babylon. They stop the caravan. And they say stop, stop, stop. Jeremiah you can go free. You can go back to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem was a shell at that point. But at least he didn't have to go back into exile. And he's thinking to himself. Yes, yes, praise God. Thank you. That was really long. That was very tiring. When I had to be a prophet for you. But thank you that I get to go back to Jerusalem. He goes back to Jerusalem. You know what happens next? A coup takes place. And then they take Jeremiah down to Egypt, and that's where he dies. Do you know what happens to Ezekiel? He spends his life in exile. Do you know what happens to Isaiah? He gets beheaded. Job says, or excuse me, James says, be like them. They were patient. They were they were they, they kept on keeping on. Despite the fact that things did not end the way they wanted to end. And I want you to hang on to that for a moment because there's some tension there, right? We are given the example of the prophets and many of them, they died. And they went down hard. Which brings us to our next point. The fourth kind of patience we need is we need patience with God. I hope I quote this right. I didn't write this down. Tim Keller said this. It's so good. He says, patience with God. This is the patience that leads to all other patiences. Meaning this. 
that if you can be patient with God, you will be able to be patient in your suffering. If you are patient with God, you will be able to be patient in your relationships. If you are patient with God, you can be like that farmer and be patient with life. The other side is also true. That this is the impatience that will lead to all other impatience. That if you are impatient with God, you will not be able to be patient with your suffering. If you are impatient with friendships, with relationships, if you are impatient with life, or excuse me, if you're impatient with God, you're going to be impatient with life. You're going to be impatient with relations. You're going to be impatient with everything. So this, this is the one we've got to get. And this is what made the prophets the prophets. This is what made them so incredible is because they were able to be patient with God. Look at verse, um, verse 7. The way that things open here, James says this. And this whole passage hinges on this verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until... What does it say next? Until the coming of the Lord. Notice it does not say... Be patient, therefore, brothers, until you get healed from your cancer. Doesn't say that. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until you get out of that career that you are really frustrated in. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until your marriage is just so joyful and so wonderful. Be patient until until your child is fully walking with the Lord and serving the Lord. Be patient, be patient. It doesn't say any of that. It says be patient until... The coming of the Lord. Be patient all the way till then. But here's what James is doing. James is writing this to encourage and to bless and to stir up his readers. And I wonder if if it will also stir us up here. Here's what I mean. When James says be patient until the coming of the Lord, he is saying be patient until we arrive At Revelation 21. Listen to Revelation 21. I'm not going to put it up here. Maybe close your eyes and listen to this. This is the very end. This is the very end, friends. This is the beginning of eternity, really, is what this is. John, the apostle, wrote this. He says, then I saw, and he's speaking about what is to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now pause here for for a moment. This is the picture. Here's what's going to happen. One day the last trumpet is going to sound. We are all going to stand before Jesus. We are going to give an account for our life. And if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, 1 Corinthians says you will be guiltless in that day. You'll be guiltless. You'll be free from sin. Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, it's over you. And you will enter into what has just been described here. And what has just been described here is is all of the earth that you see around you. 
All that brokenness, all that sickness, all that evil, it's gone. The old earth and the heavens, see you later. It's gone. And it's not as if the, the God breaks out an eraser and erases everything. It's as if he makes it new. He redeems it. And what comes down is a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. Like we got this in our mind that, that the end of all things is we go up to heaven. No, 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 no. The end of all things is heaven comes down to earth. Did you know that? I'm just preaching the Bible here. And listen to what is said. Listen to this. Will you, you hear this, those of you who are sick? Those of you who are suffering today? Jesus makes a promise to us and he says this. He will wipe every tear from your eye. Death shall be no more. There'll be no more dying. Neither... Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. No more pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who, is, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That word for new, oh, we could have a heyday on it. It's this idea of it's better. And James says, I want you to be patient until then. Because that's what we come home to. There's this passage in in 2 Corinthians. um, I've just been hanging on to this one. I'll read it to you. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let me read that again. For this light and momentary affliction, are you afflicted? Are you in a season where you are afflicted? Are you in a season where there seems to be no end to your affliction? The Apostle Paul is saying, what is happening is God is actually doing something. Did you know that? It's, it's not as if the new heavens and the new earth are going to come and it's like we cross the finish line and we look back and go, man, that season was so frustrating. That season was so hard. I'm glad it's over. Instead, we're going to look back and we're going to go, wait, God was doing that on purpose. Wait, God's redeemed that. So we're not gonna, you're not going to look back on your suffering, as long as you walk faithfully, by the way. If you're not walking faithfully, then you're going to look back and it's not going to go well or it's not going to be thought well. But if you are faithful in your suffering, what this is saying is that when you look back, one day you're going to cross that finish line, you're going to look back and go, oh, wait, that wasn't a waste. That wasn't a waste. God was doing something. And James, James is trying to encourage his readers and he's saying... Be patient all the way up until that day. That's how things end. You win in the end, friends. And you win big. And I think where this passage might be a discouragement is because 
we want things to get better now, don't we? This passage doesn't promise that. This passage says things are going to get perfectly better at the end. And some of us might be going, oh, but next Tuesday would be preferable. Yeah? Be patient with the Lord until that day. Because here's what's happening. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. So we, you can be patient with God because there is a finish line in which you will be perfectly healed. And until you get to that finish line, we have the promise from God that he's doing, he's, there's a purpose to this. God is not a capricious God. There is purpose and there's meaning in your suffering. Do you believe that? So how do, we, how do we cultivate suffering? Or excuse me, how do we cultivate patience? How do we, how do we cultivate it in, in a world that frankly is cultivating impatience? And the answer um, is pretty simple. Is any among you suffering? Or the idea here is, is, are any among you just are going through a hard time? Here's the answer. You should pray. Some of us are like, really, that's the answer? I was hoping, like, what, can we get another way? Here's why we want another way. Because this way depends on God, does it not? Zach, could, could you find the verse that tells us if we take these three steps, our problem will be fixed? There's not in there. The way that you cultivate patience is you pray is you stop looking into yourself and how you can fix it and look to God and why he's having you walk through this. But here's what's great, is, is he doesn't just say, hey, hey, pray. Think for a moment back to this passage. Because here's the secret. Here's the secret here. The secret is not just to pray. The secret is to actually pray in a very particular way. Now, there's a number of different ways you can pray. There's two in this passage that I'll point out is we pray like the prophets prayed. And I've already made mention to this. Do you know how the prophets prayed? They they had moments where they prayed for things, but they actually spent more of their time praying through things. I wonder how many of our prayers are, God, would you do this? God, would you do that? God, would you solve this? God, would you solve that? We're praying for, 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 praying for things rather than praying through things. What do I mean by praying through things? Look at the prophets, especially look at the Psalms. They pray like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever prayed that? They pray things like, why are you so downcast, my soul? They pray things, um, I was reading this morning in Psalm 119. 
My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Notice he's not asking for comfort. He's going, when when are you going to comfort me? Do you see what they're doing? They're praying. They're they're processing through prayer. You want to know how to cultivate patience in your life? Pray differently. Pray in such a way where you process. This is called lament. This is the majority of... Of, of the psalms that are written. They are laments. They are people, the prophets coming before God and they're, they're not praying for stuff. They're praying through stuff. They're not saying fix this. They're saying, God, here's the situation and frankly, I'm pretty ticked off. And I might say some things that, you know what, they might be words of the wind and, and they're, they're here now and they should probably just be taken away but I'm just gonna say them and you know why I'm gonna say them? I'm gonna say them because you're a merciful God. I'm going to say them because you are a God that allows me to do that. So do that. But here's the other thing they do. Notice the end here. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See what James is doing? He's claiming the character of God. This is the other thing. No one is better at claiming the character of God than the Psalms and the prophets. They are just constantly talking about the character of God. In fact, they're, they're telling God of his character. Remember Moses? Gosh, remember, remember Moses when God was like, I'm done, like I'm seriously, I'm done with the Israelites. And what does Moses do? He claims God's character. He says, um, excuse me, God, I hate to break in here, but remember you said you were this So shouldn't you do this? And God's like, yeah, okay. So pray his character. And you know what the character of God is? He is a compassionate God. You know what that word compassion means? It means to enter into your pain. And isn't this what Christ has done for us? He has entered into our pain. He has put on flesh. And he has died for us. And he has forgiven us of our sins. And so how do you cultivate patience? You pray. You process through prayer. And you pray and claim the character of God. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are compassionate. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you give us permission to come before you and not merely pray for help, but to literally lament before you, to literally grieve before you, to literally come before you and and have a conversation with you about the deepest grief of our life that we need to just process and talk through. And that you are a God of a kind of character that allows us to do that. You don't look down upon us when we when we say things like, why God? Where are you, God? Father, help us to cultivate patience in these areas of our life.